Daniel 9, and we're going to begin reading at verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, who is the most holy? That's Jesus Christ. So this prophecy is given to tell when Jesus is going to come again. Now, nobody knows the day or the hour, but prophecies are put in Scripture to tell us the season that Jesus is coming again and some of the events that are going to take place. And no one can know, again, the day or the hour, but we can know when it is coming near. And I believe that if you'll listen to the Word of God tonight, that you will see that, one, we could definitely trust our Bibles that every word of it is true. And then, two, we can be confident that we are very soon going to see the return of Christ. And there are many people that are skeptics. But if you will hear the Word of God tonight, and if God will give freedom in the preaching, I do believe that you'll see Jesus is coming soon, soon. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your help tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you'll bring to my mind what I should say. And I pray, Lord, that not one person would leave here confused. Not one person would leave here without having their heart touched in some way. And we pray that you'll direct this message to meet our needs and touch our hearts and change lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, this prophecy uh, states several events that will take place over a 70-week period, culminating with Jesus' return. And since it's prophecy tonight, we're going to talk about Jesus' return. Now, the 70 weeks usually would be 490 days. But in this prophecy, a week is not seven days like our normal weeks, but it's talking about seven-year weeks. And so that's something that could be a little confusing as you start the prophecy. You need to understand the calendar system here is it's not a seven-day week, but a seven-year week. Now, for instance, in the Old Testament, you can remember that Jacob Jacob wanted to marry a woman. And the father said, if you will work for seven years for her, you can marry her. And the father tricked him and married the sister. And then the dad said, well, if you fulfill her week, then you can have her. Well, what happened is he had to work seven years. So sometimes in the Bible, a week meant seven years. Now, in this case, 70 weeks is 490 years. Seven times 70 is 490 And with that explanation, let's get into this great prophecy. Now, first thing we're going to look at is the concern. What does this prophecy talk about? Number two, we'll look at the calendar, and then we'll close. We're looking at the good news of the coming Christ that is about to come to the earth. Now, first of all, I want to look at the concern. Now, I want you to notice the people that this prophecy is talking about. Notice verse 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now, Daniel was a Jew, so his people are the Jews. I'm an American, so my people are the Americans. Well, the prophecy has to do with Daniel's people. So the prophecy has to do with the Jews. So in order for us to understand it, we have to keep our eyes on the Jews. Now, secondly, I want us to look at the place that the prophecy is talking about. It's the holy city. All right, look at verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, the Jew, and upon thy holy city. The holy city, which is Jerusalem. So in order for you to understand the prophecy, you have to not just look at the Jews. You have to look at the Jews that live in Jerusalem. Now, we've got Jews that live in America, but we've got to keep our eyes on the Jews that are in Jerusalem because the prophecy surrounds and centers on the place called Jerusalem. Now, what is the purpose that God gave us this prophecy? All right, now I want you to notice there are six of them that are given in verse 24. 
Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression. That's the rebellion of the Jew against Jesus. They've rejected him as Messiah, but they will understand that he is the Messiah one day. And it says to make an end of sin. Now, somebody says, wouldn't it be great if there was no sin in the world? Why doesn't God just stop it? Well, one day, God will stop sin. And it will be beautiful for eternity because he stops sin. And then he says, part of this prophecy is to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now, reconciliation means to bring man who is separated from God back together again. Now, if you've never been reconciled to God, you need to be and you can be. And this prophecy tells us how we can be reconciled or brought back to a relationship with God so that we can go to heaven forever. So it's to finish the transgression and make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy. That means to fulfill all prophecy. But notice the last purpose of this prophecy is to anoint the most holy. So when we say that this prophecy is given to tell us when Jesus is coming, that's what it said it's given for. So it is given to tell us when the Holy One will be anointed king. Now, I personally believe that we are the generation that will see the Lord return. It's very soon. And I'm going to tell you why as we continue through this prophecy. But first, I wanted to understand what it's about. It's the Jews in Jerusalem and to tell us when Jesus is coming back. Now, what does God say will happen? Let's look number two at the calendar. All right, now, this is a 70-week calendar, 490 years. 70 times 7, 490 So over a 490-year period, it will start with this event, another, and a series, and it will culminate with Jesus' return. Now, let's break the activities of the 490-year period or the 70-week period into two sections, and we'll look at them. Okay, now first, let's look at the first 69 weeks, and secondly, we'll look at the 70th week. Now, somebody says, why don't you break it apart in smaller amounts? Let's look at the first 35 weeks, digest them, and then we'll look at the second 35 weeks. Why aren't you breaking them into smaller sections? Here's the reason. The first 69 weeks have already been fulfilled. And the only week left in this Daniel 9 prophecy is the 70th week. And that will end with the coming of Jesus. Now... How many of you have ever learned that you can learn from history? Now, as we look at these first 69 weeks that have already taken place, and we see that they happen just like Daniel was told they would happen, it adds credibility to the reality that everything will happen, including the coming Jesus. Now, when I look at the first 69 weeks, and I see how they played out just like they were prophesied, it's a faith builder. And I want us to know that if you're skeptic, if you need your faith built, is it really true Jesus is coming again? If the first 69 weeks happened just as they were prophesied, wouldn't it be true that the 70th will most likely happen too? And so this is why we're going to go through these first 69 weeks. Now, here's first section. The first 69 weeks will break them apart according to the way it's broken apart here into three sections. Now, it starts this 490-year period with a decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Then halfway through, there is a death of the Messiah, and then it ends the first 69 weeks with the destruction of Jerusalem. All right, let's go ahead and read this, verse 25. Know, therefore, and understand... God wants us to know it, and he says that we can understand it. That from the going forth of a commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem under the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the city even in troublous times, and the wall even in troublous times. Now, after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. There's the death of the Messiah, but not for himself. 
And then it says, and the people, the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. There's the destruction of Jerusalem. All right, now first it says that this all begins with a signing of a decree to restore and to build Jerusalem. Now, Daniel, when he was given this prophecy from the angel, was a captive in Babylon. Jerusalem had been leveled and destroyed. And the angel said, good news, Daniel, God's going to rebuild the city Jerusalem. And the city's going to be built again. Now, if we were taken captive by another country, and America had been wiped out and leveled, and all of a sudden we got news that Washington, D.C. and America was going to come back and be strong, and we could go back and live in America again and be a free nation, would that be good news? Now, this is the news that Daniel got in captivity, and I'm sure was very excited. It's going to be rebuilt again. And then from there, there will be a series of events that will culminate with the coming and anointing of the Messiah. All right, now here is where the 69 weeks begin. A signing of a decree by a leader to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and when did that decree take place? How many of you are familiar with the book of Nehemiah? Okay, Nehemiah, chapter 2, the king told Nehemiah, you can rebuild the city and I will support it and I will pay for it. That was the signing of the decree, the rebuilding of the temple of Jerusalem. Now, what um, historians that I have read say is that happened March 14th, 445 B.C. And that was the beginning of this prophecy. Now then it says the next thing that will happen will be the death of the Messiah. Now let's read again verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks the streets shall be built again even in troublous times. Now, it says three score and two weeks, and then it says, and seven weeks, and that is a total of 69 weeks, and that completes 483 years, and in the Jewish calendar, which is a 360-day year calendar, that comes to 173,880 days. Now, I know that because I read a book and studied it, so I could say that. But it is very true. The calendar is 360 days. Now, think about this. Daniel's given a decree that when this happens, 173,880 days later, Messiah is going to appear. Now, who is the Messiah? It is Jesus Christ. And when was he first recognized by a large crowd to be the Messiah? That would be at the triumphal entry. Now, when did the triumphal entry take place? I want to show us an amazing truth. It took place 173,880 days to the day after the decree to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. Now, how do we know this? All right, take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 3. Now, in Luke chapter 3, we have when Jesus was baptized, and we actually know when Jesus was baptized, what year it was. Now, how do we know that? He's baptized in verse 21, but back up and look at Luke chapter 3 and verse 1, the setting and the time in which he was baptized. Verse 1. Luke chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And then it goes on in verse 21 through 23 saying Jesus was baptized. So in what year was Jesus baptized? In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Now, has anybody here in here heard of Tiberius Caesar? Okay. He was a real ruler back in the time period of Jesus. And if you go on to Wikipedia and you type in Tiberius Caesar, it says that he was a real ruler. And if you look in dictionaries and encyclopedias, he was definitely a real ruler. Historians, he was definitely here. 
Now, according to Wikipedia, he began to reign in A.D. 14. Now, if you take A.D. 14 and add 15 years, you've got A.D. 29, and that means that Jesus was baptized in A.D. 29. That's pretty interesting. Now, with that, you take a harmony of the Gospels, and you find that there are four Passovers before the triumphal entry. A.D. 29, 30, 31, and 32. So the triumphal entry, logically, would have been A.D. 32. Now, according to Jewish history that I have read, I found that the date for the Passover in A.D. AD 32 comes to our calendar system of April 6, A.D. 32. And if you will look at that, you will find from March 14, 445 B.C., when the decree was to rebuild the temple as prophesied 173,880 days later unto the Messiah, he will appear between March 14, 445 B.C. to April 6, A.D. 32. You have 173,880 days to the day. Now that, folks, is a wow. Now if I were to give you a prophecy, and I were to say next week on Tuesday, you're going to go to McDonald's and you're going to order a Big Mac at 2 p.m. And the lady who takes your order is going to have a red blouse and a green skirt. And she's going to mess up and she's going to give you a filet of fish. Now you would say, there's no way that I'm going to let that preacher be proven right. I will never go to McDonald's and just show that guy's a big phony. But let's say next Tuesday comes and you go out at noon and you get a big buffet and you eat all that you can eat so you couldn't get another bite. And then you're thinking, I'll show that preacher. But then about 1.30 or so, you're so full you couldn't take another bite, so you decide to leave the restaurant and to drive home. And you're thinking about that crazy preacher and that crazy prophecy, how it can never be true. You can never take another bite. You're so full. And so somehow while you're driving, you get lost because you're distracted. And you don't have a GPS. So you're trying to figure out where you are, and as you're driving along, you cannot figure out where you are. You figure out, just keep driving, and then eventually, it's about 1.58. And you look up ahead, and you see that there is a McDonald's up ahead. You think, that's weird. But there's no way I'm going to pull into that McDonald's. But then about 1.59, you get stopped at a red light right by McDonald's, and it's right here. You're thinking, boy, that's weird, but I'll never pull in. And as soon as that light turned green, right at 2 o'clock, your stomach goes, <clears throat> maybe I'll get a little something to eat. And you pull into McDonald's. You go, why did I do that? And you think, well, since I'm here, I'll just go ahead and get a little bite. So you go up and you say, mm, I think I'll order a Big Mac. Why did I do that? And you pull up and sure enough, the lady has a red blouse and a green skirt. And you look in your bag and she messed up and gave you a filet of fish. Now, wouldn't you be thinking, hmm. Maybe there's something to that prophet. Now, this is one of those, hmm, 173,880 days to the day Messiah appears. Now, this is adding credibility to the Word of God. I don't have to defend the Word of God. It is credible. And if there's any doubt, these prophecies will prove the credibility of the Word of God. Now, then... It says that Messiah will be cut off. Now, let's go back to Daniel chapter 9. And somebody says, well, Jesus didn't die on the exact day that the triumphal entry came. Well, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus would die the day of the triumphal entry or his being revealed as Messiah. I want you to notice it played out just as it was prophesied here in Daniel chapter 9. Now, notice it says in verse... Um, 26, and after three score and two weeks, after 173,880 days, not in 173,880 days. Now, in verse 25, it says, until the Messiah appeared, and he was revealed as Messiah, but then verse 26 says, shortly after that, Messiah is going to die, and shortly after Jesus did die and was crucified. 
Now, I want you to remember what it says here in Scriptures, that he died, but not for himself. Verse 26. Now, here's a good time just to interject. All right, stay with me, young people. Here's a good time to interject. Jesus did not die on the cross because he did wrong. He died on the cross because we did wrong. And the Bible teaches that he did not die for himself. And the prophecy is that he died to make reconciliation for iniquity. And what that points out is if you do not know that you are going to heaven, evidently you need to be reconciled to God. So when we teach that Jesus died to save you from your sin, he did. And the Daniel prophecy is even pointing out that he died not for himself. So who would that leave? It leaves us. So if you don't know that you're on your way to heaven, Christ died for you. So you could know that you're going to heaven. And you could be reconciled to God. Now the death of the Messiah came just as it was prophesied. All right, now on March 14, 445 B.C., we have the beginning and it happened just like prophesied. It's a faith builder. Then 173,880 days to the day Messiah was revealed. That's amazing. And shortly after that, Messiah would be cut off, and he was, just as it was prophesied. And now we've seen the decree, number two, the death of the Messiah, and then the destruction of Jerusalem. All right, I want you to take your Bibles now and look at verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the next word is the word and, which simply means the next event to take place. Or after this, here's what's going to happen. It says, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy this city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, the city's going to be rebuilt, Daniel. Then 173,880 days later, Messiah's going to appear, and he did. Then Messiah will die, and he did. And then after that, the city will be destroyed, and that simply means shortly after that. And by who? The people of the prince that shall come. Now, it tells us the city's going to be destroyed. If it got destroyed, that would be amazing. And it did, and I'll explain that. And then it tells us even more details so we can believe our Bibles. Are tr- we, this was written 536 B.C., before Christ was ever born, and it happened just like prophesied 600 years later. And somebody says, well, we're just lucky. We're not lucky. The Bible is truly inspired by God. Now, it says then there will be a destruction of the city. Now, the prince that shall come, who is that referring to? Somebody says that's Jesus. No, it's not. That's the Antichrist. So the prophecy is simply this. There is going to be the destruction of Jerusalem by Antichrist people. Now, where does Antichrist come from? The Bible says in the book of Revelation, it'll be the city with seven hills or mountains. That has been identified as the city of Rome. So back in 96 AD, a prophecy was given that the Antichrist would come from the city of Rome. There would be a one world government come from the city of Rome. That is forming. There would be a one world religion coming from the city of Rome. That also is coming to fruition. There would be a one world currency and that is also forming And that's another message. But the Bible says the Antichrist will come from that city. So get this amazing prophecy. 536 B.C., Daniel's told by the angels, the Romans are one day going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. Now question, how many of you have heard of a guy named Titus? Titus in 70 A.D. destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is crucified in AD 32, and then shortly after that, AD 70, 
the city is destroyed by the Romans. And it happened just like it was prophesied. Now remember, we can understand any prophecy will happen. But when the devil is constantly sowing seeds of doubt, the devil went after Peter one day. And Jesus said to Peter, I prayed for you. And he said, I prayed for you that you would have faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not only God is not only unhappy when we doubt, but it's impossible for us to ever be strong if we don't have faith. And so this is a faith builder when I see it happening just as it was prophesied. Now, in this passage... The city's going to be destroyed by Antichrist people, and it happened. That's not lucky. That's something we can believe. If the first 69 weeks happened just like they were prophesied, we can believe that the coming Messiah will come just as prophesied, but we're going to look at in just a second. Now, I do want to elaborate a little bit about the city's destruction. Look in your Bibles now again at verse 26. It says, after three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, and the people, the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. But notice the details. The end thereof, the end of that city, shall be with a flood. And under the end of the war, notice this word, desolations are determined. Now, he doesn't elaborate on what these desolations are, but Jesus actually does when he comes on earth. You know, Jesus was a preacher. He was the Son of God, is the Son of God, is God, very God. But he also preached, repent, and believe the gospel. And when he was in earth, he was constantly shedding light on the Old Testament scriptures. Now, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21, where Jesus expounds on the Daniel 9 prophecy to his disciples. Now, Jesus is at the temple, and he's telling the disciples, the disciples are telling Jesus, look how beautiful the temple is, Jesus. Look how lovely these stones are. Look at that gold that was donated by that queen and that king. And they're all amazed at the beauty and the hugeness of the beautiful temple there at Jerusalem. And Jesus looks at them and basically says, what are you so excited about? This thing is about to be destroyed. Now look at this in verse 5. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Every stone in this temple will be turned over. And you know what? In Titus's march, Every stone was turned over so they could get all the gold even between the stones, just like prophesied. And they asked him, saying, Master, when shall these things be, and what sign shall there be when these things happen? Now, they're basically saying, yes, you said that we're going to see Jerusalem destroyed and the temple's going to be destroyed. And he says, when's it going to happen? Now, he tells them that's the amazing thing. Take your Bibles now over to Luke 21 and verse 20. Stay with me. Luke 21 and verse 20. They say, okay, the temple's going to be destroyed, Jesus. The stones will be turned over. And the people of the prince that shall come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. It's going to happen. What are you excited about? This temple's about to be destroyed. Oh, yeah, Daniel said that. Well, when's it going to happen, Jesus? And again, he tells them when. Notice verse 20. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Now I want you to notice in verse 20 this word, the desolation. These two words actually. Now remember, Daniel chapter 9, desolations are determined. Luke chapter 21, the desolation. It's the same word. Follow me. Now, notice the definite article in front of the word desolation in Luke 21. It says, the desolation is nine. Not just any desolation, but a specific one. The desolation. 
And so what he's doing is he's telling them the desolation prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 is about to happen. Where the city is going to be destroyed. So they say, when is it going to happen? And he tells them, this is it. Here's the key. Here's when you know it'll happen. Verse 20, when you see the city of Jerusalem compassed about with armies. Now, do you know what the Romans used to do, young people, when they would destroy a city? They would surround it, and they wouldn't let anybody go in and bring food or water or supplies. And they wouldn't let anybody leave And then they couldn't get help. And so the people inside would run out of supplies or run out of water, run out of food. They'd get weak and they'd get weary. And then the the Romans would go in and they would crush them. Now, I had the privilege of going to Israel in 2009 and I stood on Masada. Masada is the last stronghold of the people that fled from Titus in 70 AD. And as I was on that place, Masada... It's a mountain high up into the sky, and the Jewish uh, remnant that escaped the Romans in 70 AD fled this place, and as they're on Masada, they had cisterns where they catch huge amounts of waters, and they managed to live off of the rainwater for years. But finally, the Romans defeated them. And you know what I saw when I was up there on Masada? I looked in this direction, and I saw army encampments from the Roman army, remains from the Roman armies. I looked in this direction, and in any direction I saw remains of the Roman army encampments. And you know what the practice again was of the Romans, is they would surround the city, and then they would crush them. Now, just as it was prophesied in here, here's what Jesus told him. When you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, know that the desolation is near and question. There's a little ringer. Somebody could just take care of that if somebody needs to do that. Now, what's that? I think it's a warning on your cell phones. Oh, an amber alert. Okay, that's an amber alert. All right, good. And that's an important thing. Aren't we glad for amber alerts? That's a good thing. But that's okay. It would be nice if it wasn't in a sermon, wouldn't it? All right, but let's follow along and see this thing. We're looking at Daniel's prophecy, and Jesus expounded on it and said, When you see the city surrounded, the desolation is nigh, the city is about to be destroyed. And it happened just like prophesied. And all of these things affirm that when Jesus said he's coming back again and when we can see the time period of his return, we know that we can trust this prophecy. Now, in this, it expounds a little bit on what the desolations are going to be. Notice verse 20. When you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let him that is in Jerusalem... Judea, flee to the mountain, let them which are in the midst of it depart out of it, and let not them which are in the countries enter therein. Stay out of this place, for these be the days of vengeance, 70 AD, that all things which are written, where? I believe Daniel chapter 9 shall be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give succor nursing children in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, wrath upon this people, the Jews. And they, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword, Jesus prophesies. And they, the Jew, shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem, the city, shall be trodden down of Gentiles until the time the Gentiles be fulfilled." Now, notice what Jesus said in the desolations. It says the Jews would be killed with a sword. In the prophecy, over a million Jews ended up getting killed by the Romans with swords. Fulfillment. It says the city would be controlled by Gentiles until the time the Gentiles be fulfilled. The Gentiles took over the city of Jerusalem until 1967. That is almost 2,000 years that the Gentiles controlled the city of Jerusalem. But now the Jews are back. 
and I'm going to show you how that is an indicator that we are near the Lord's return. Now then it teaches that there would be the captives dispersed among the nations. And that's why we had Jews in Germany in Hitler's day, in Poland and in America even today, the Jews were taken out of Jerusalem, 1.1 million were killed that time, and then the rest were spread and dispersed upon the nations, and it happened just as it was fulfilled, as fulfilled just as it was prophesied. Now, when you look at this prophecy, now we're going to move to the 70th week. Now, the 70th week is the only part that has not yet been accomplished. But that's the one that is called the tribulation period and culminates at the end with the anointing of King Jesus. Now, the seven-year period called the tribulation period is addressed in Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to read it in just a second. But in tribulation period, the book of Revelation says it will be the worst time in the history of mankind. The Bible says, unless God would shorten the days, then all people would die. It says that there will be stars smashing into the planet. Waters and oceans will turn to blood. There will be demonic beasts that have the face of a man, hair like a woman, teeth like a lion, tail like a scorpion, an iron chest that will be released from the bottomless pit and they will sting people and their pain is the pain of a scorpion sting. It teaches that there will be hailstones falling from the sky, the weight of a talent, which would be 75 pounds to 100 pounds in weight. And they will crash and break huge oak trees like their toothpicks, and the only way that anybody will survive will be if they're extremely fortunate. Now let's turn to Daniel chapter 9 and see the 70th week of Daniel as we're looking at the calendar and after we look at this briefly, then we'll close by looking at the coming Christ. All right, now Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. He was, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city of the Romans. And they did. And the sanctuary and it will be destroyed. And it was. And the end thereof shall be with the flood and unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. The Jews would be killed with a sword, led and spread across the world, and the city would be destroyed and then taken over by Gentiles, as Jesus expounded on those desolations, and they happened. And now the 70th week in verse 27, and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, seven years, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, in verse 26, it's the people of the Antichrist. The prince that shall come will destroy the city. Verse 27, it's the prince that shall come that will sign a covenant for seven years with many. Now, this is the Antichrist. Now, the tribulation period will begin with the Antichrist signing a peace treaty with many. Now, in this, what is the peace treaty? What does it involve? All right, here's all we know for sure. It says halfway through, he's going to make the sacrifice and oblation to cease. He's going to break the treaty after three and a half years, making the offerings in the temple to cease. Stop. No more continue. How can this happen? The only way that he can make a treaty with the nation of Israel is, number one, Israel would have to be a nation in order to make a treaty with them. Does that make sense? And number two, the temple would have to be rebuilt so that blood sacrifices can be done. And so the treaty has to do with God, uh, the Antichrist making a treaty with the Israelites that they can rebuild their temple and re resume their blood sacrifices like Old Testament days. So that's what it has to do with. Now, in order for it to happen, 
Daniel's given this prophecy, the city is going to be destroyed. But he's going to confirm a covenant with you. Now, how can you confirm a covenant with a city and a nation that doesn't exist? You can't. So it prophesies by implication that the city, the nation of Israel, has to be rebuilt again. And we all know in 1948 that Israel became a nation again. After not existing since A.D. 70, they came back into existence as a nation in 1948. A miracle of God and all God's people said amen. Now, folks, that is an amazing prophecy. But this is, in Daniel 9, not just talking about Israel, it's talking about a city, the holy city. So it has to be the Jews, not just even in the nation of Israel, but the city of Jerusalem. Now, when did the Jews go back into Jerusalem? That was 1967. And so when they went back into Jerusalem in 1967, that was an indication that we're coming to the end of the age of the church and Jesus is returning soon. 1967, Jews going back into Jerusalem. But then there has to be a temple. Now, I was in Jerusalem and my guide took me to the eastern gate, which is the gate that Jesus is going to walk through and he's going to set up the millennial kingdom. Zechariah 14. Now, while I was at that eastern gate, he took me there, and this is where they're going to build a temple on the Temple Mound, right? As you enter the eastern gate, you'd be looking right into the entry of the temple once it gets built. And that's where it's supposed to be. And while I was there, my guide told me, Mike, let me do something. So I shut he said, shut your eyes. So I shut my eyes. He said, now let me put you where I want to put you. So he put my back right up against the eastern gate. And then he said, when I tell you to, I want you to open your eyes. So here I am at this wonderful spot where Jesus is going to come through that gate. He's going to go right into the temple that will one day be rebuilt if it is allowed. That's all prophesied. But right now we got a problem on the Temple Mound. There happens to be the Dome of the Rock, which is the Islam, Muslim, third most sacred site or second most sacred site. And the big fighting going on in Israel today is often and mainly because of the Dome of the Rock issue. The Jews want to build their temple, but the Muslims don't want to let them build their temple. They want to keep it for the Muslim faith. So as he pushed my back to the eastern gate, and he says, shut your eyes, I did. And then all of a sudden he says to me, okay, now, open your eyes. So I opened my eyes. He said, what do you see? I said, nothing. He said, right, what's that tell you? I said, I don't know. He said, where is the Dome of the Rock? And I said, it's over there. He said, right, what's that mean? Again, I said, I don't know. He says, that means that the Muslims built the Dome of the Rock in the wrong spot. He said, they built it where they thought that Abraham offered his son, but it was also not only the wrong son, that they believe it was the wrong spot. Because the temple was built in the exact spot where Abraham offered his son Isaac. And that would have been right through the eastern gate. That had to be, because that's where the temple was built in history. So having it built over there, that meant that the Muslims evidently built the Dome of the Rock in the wrong spot. And then you know what he said? Look up in front of you. What do you see here? I said, there's nothing. He said, that's right. That means the Muslims can keep their Dome of the Rock, and we can build our temple here. And they can keep their Dome of the Rock. Now, here's an interesting thought. In Daniel, it says the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, if the prophecy is for the Jews, why doesn't it say he shall confirm a covenant with the Jews for one week? Here's my opinion. I think the Antichrist's prophecy is that he will confirm a covenant with Jews and Muslims. And they'll say... You can keep your Dome of the Rock, 
and the Jews can build their temple, we'll put a wall between, and everyone can worship as they please. Let's try this for seven years and just make sure we covenant for peace. Seven years, and let's get along and worship as we please. So that's the covenant that I believe will take place. And then halfway through, he'll break that covenant and turn against the Jew. So the 70 weeks, the 70th week has not happened yet, but we're very close to it happening because the temple is very close to being rebuilt. The Jews are already talking about it. I have seen with my own eyes the temple mound. I have seen with my own eyes the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute is a place where a rabbi thought it's time to rebuild our temple, and he prepared all the materials he has. The golden harps he has. The table of showbread he's got. All the vials. And I actually have seen the, um, that um, lamp, the menorah, that has been made out of $16 million worth of gold. And that lamp is when the Israelites pour the olive oil in, they burn it. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit and being in His presence. And that menorah lamp costs $16 million. And you don't build a $16 million piece of furniture unless you plan to use it. And I have seen the blueprints for the new temple with my own eyes. And there was a little box there that you could throw a few dollars in if you wanted to help build it. So I threw a few dollars in. And when that temple gets built, I help pay for it. Kind of neat. But we are very close to that temple being rebuilt. And what the Bible teaches then is then we are very close to the Lord's return. And with that, let's close by looking at the Lord's return. All right, now it says back here in Daniel chapter 9, I want you to see the last point just so you can be affirmed again. This prophecy is tied to Luke 21, but it's to tell us when Jesus is coming again. Notice chapter 9 and verse 24, the last phrase, to anoint the most holy. So this prophecy is telling us that Jesus would be cut off, but evidently he'll raise from the dead because you cannot anoint a dead man. So Jesus raises from the dead and he will be anointed king. And let's conclude this message by looking as to when this is going to happen. Now, I told you, turn your Bibles to Luke 21. I told you that I believe that if you'll hear me, you will see proof that we are the generation that the Lord is coming in. And as we look at Luke 21, it doesn't tell us the day or the hour, but it does tell us that we are definitely without any question in the season. All right, now Luke 21 I want you to notice um, verse 25. Now, between verse 24 and 25, you have 2,000 years have passed. And now we're in verse 25, which is bringing us up to where we are today and what's about to take place. Now, some prophecies have a dual application. This tells us about events in the tribulation. But it also is a dual application, I believe, telling us when the season is of the Lord's return, which we know is anyway shortly after the tribulation. But I believe it's a dual application telling us when he will return. All right, now let's read verse 25. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth till the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now power and great glory, does that sound like a kingdom to you? Power and great glory. Now when you see these things, the king in power and great glory is about to come. And what are these signs? They will be in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. Now, one of the first events in the tribulation period, stars are going to fall to the earth. Don't make this up. How many have heard or seen scientists state that stars or large meteors are soon lined up to hit our planet? Have any of you heard that? 
Hold up your hand if you have, and people around will see I'm not the only one. That is a sign that we're in the season. Then it says the sea and the waves roaring. Now, I'm 53, but I don't think I've ever seen the sea and the waves roaring like we have the last couple of years. And then there are other things, perplexity of the nations. I don't know that I've ever seen the perplexity of the nations to this point. In my existence, if one nation has a bad decision and they have an economic chaos that comes from it, it doesn't just affect one nation anymore, it affects international markets. Am I right? It's perplexity of nations. It is sort of like the old Kerplunk game where you put in all the marbles and if you pull the wrong straw, everything falls. And that's how perplexed the nation's economies are. And even peace and war is. If the wrong move is done, we're at World War III. If the wrong move is done, the wrong straw is pulled. The economic, international um, chaos follows. But then it goes on and identifies the specific of when he will return, verse 29. And he spake unto them a parable, saying, Behold the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth. You see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the what? Kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Now in the spring, we know that we're in spring because we see budding on the fig trees, or budding on the trees. A fig tree is different than an oak tree. A fig tree does not get buds. It gets little sprouts that shoot from the root. So he says, when you see in the spring buds on a tree, you know that summer's near. It'll shortly be coming after spring. When you see the sprouts coming from the bottom of a fig tree, you know that summer's near. It'll come after this spring. Now he says, so likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know thee that the return of Jesus is near. Just as sure and confidently as you know summer is near, you can be sure and confident that the return of the king is near. Now what is the application here? I believe it's tied to the fig tree. Now, the fig tree in the Old Testament was a symbol of the nation of Israel. I can show you four passages where it was. And so he says, look at the fig tree. Now get the history. He had just told the disciples, the city is going to be destroyed, and it's going to be controlled by the Gentiles. And the people, the Israelites, will be led and spread across the nations. But he says... Keep your eye on that fig tree, Israel, when it begins to shoot forth again. Know that the kingdom is near. Now, I believe the prophecy in Daniel was clear. It's about the city. So I believe that in Luke 21, it's about the city, Jerusalem. As Jesus said, the city will be destroyed. And so I believe the budding of the fig tree is not just the nation of Israel coming into existence, it's the city of Jerusalem having the Jews back in control again. And that began in 1967. Now, in conclusion, I want you to see a couple of things. One, it says, when they now shoot forth, when the trees begin to bud, all right, budding, they haven't come out to full-bloom leaves. They haven't sprouted into full branches, but they're budding. Right now, if you go into the city of Jerusalem, there are four regions of that city. Two are controlled by Jews, two are controlled by Muslims. The Jews are not completely in control of that city, even though it's now the capital. The Islam are still in control of two parts of the four. Now, you know what that means? They have not come to full branch, full bloom, but they are budding in the city. And what God said is, when it now shoots forth, know that the kingdom is near. And so we are seeing 
what was prophesied 70 AD, the city is destroyed. Jews are taken out. 1967, the Jews are back in. Young people, that's 1900 years later. That's over six times the existence of the United States of America. That they did not exist as a nation, but now they do. That is an amazing fulfillment. But we've gotten to see it. We're here, we're seeing it. The Jews are back in Jerusalem. And when you see the Jew back in Jerusalem, know that you're close to it. And just to affirm that this is what Jesus meant for us to see, and he meant for us to believe. I want to look at verse 20, and I want you to see three words in another place, these three words, and then we'll finally get to verse 30. These three words, and in verse 31, all right, look at verse 20. They're the words, when, no, and nigh. All right, verse 20. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed about with cities, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. When, no, nigh. So he says, when you see this city surrounded, it's about to be destroyed by the Romans. And when the city got surrounded, shortly afterwards it was destroyed by the Romans. Did Jesus mean what he was saying. Yes. Now notice he uses these same words again when he's talking about when he's coming back and going to reign as king on earth physically. Verse 20, verse 30. When they now shoot forth, you see in know of your own self that summer's now nigh at hand. When, no, nigh. Now verse 31, so likewise, just like this, when you see these things come to pass, the Jew going back into the city Jerusalem and being in control of part of it. When you see this happen, know ye that the kingdom of God is near. Now, the conclusion of the whole message and the whole point, just to show us that we are close to the Lord's return, is in the following and final verse. And this is where we're going with the whole message. Somebody says, well, why didn't you start this in the beginning? We could have read it and gone home. Because you had to see you can trust this prophecy. Now, I want you to see what he teaches. Verse 32. He says, verily I say unto you. Verily means I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. Verily I say unto you. You can believe what I'm saying. This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Now, what is he saying? I'm telling you the truth. The generation that sees the Jew go back into Jerusalem, the city, will not die off until they see Jesus reigning as a king. Now, this is saying the season. This is not saying the date. Now, the key to this thing, I believe, is the word generation. Now, some people think a generation means 70 years. I don't believe that's what he's saying. Some think a generation means 80 years. I don't believe that's what he's saying. Others say 52 years. They base that out of Matthew. Don't believe that either. What do you believe, Mike? Well, this is my opinion. I believe that it simply means somebody who was alive when the Jews went back into Jerusalem will still be alive when Jesus comes back to earth again. That's what I believe. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the World War I generation? Is that generation still on earth or have they passed away? I think they're gone. World War II generation, is, have every soldier and nurse passed away? I think some of those in that generation are still alive. Now, that generation has not passed away. Now, people are living today to be 120 years old. I read them every once in a while. And I'm not saying that Jesus is coming today, tomorrow. I'm saying he may come today, tomorrow. And the evidence is that it is soon. But I do believe with all my heart that from 1967, you can add the length 
of the longest life that is possible, and I don't see many being more than 120 years unless medical comes up with some kind of way to give us another extended life, a little longer, but I'm saying sometime at least within 150 years after the Jews goes in Jerusalem, be pretty safe to say, if I understand the scripture correctly, Jesus is going to physically, bodily be back here on this planet. Now we are running out of time. People that are not believers need to repent and to believe. Now, the word repent doesn't mean stop your wicked sin. It means change your mind. That's all repent really means. And you know what that means? If you came in here and you didn't believe in Jesus, I hope you saw tonight there's something to it. And that you need a Savior. And then... Christians, if we understand that he's coming soon, the Bible says that we need to be diligent and not slothful about the things of God. Let's bow our heads.